It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Here we are together again for another Saturday morning. Welcome to Green and Growing. Thank you so much for tuning in. Ashley Frasca along with you live in the studios in Midtown for the next three hours to take your calls on anything and everything gardening or just even what's concerning you. WSB has been here for you for the last couple of weeks through all of this for 98 years actually, but we're all uh, doing our jobs a little differently nowadays, and we thank you so much for depending on us to get you all of the information you need. And this weekend, it's just going to be home and garden information, first up with uh, me until 9 o'clock, and then Dave Baker still doing the Home Fix-It show from 9 to noon. 404-872-0750. Hey, Nicole, good Saturday morning to you. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing? Oh, just hanging in there. How about you? Fine. Mr. Reeve, Okay. Yes, he is. I actually just had a good conversation with Walter yesterday. He is doing great, enjoying social distancing. He and his neighbors found a good way to be together but apart. So he's uh-huh. he's very clever. He's making it work. All right. What's blooming? <laughs> What's blooming? Everything. Incredible. Everything. I mean, just slowly but surely. And I went out to um, prune my panicle hydrangeas, which I usually do St. Patrick's Day. I was just a couple days late. But they already started to have buds on them. My Japanese maple is just going to bloom really, really fast. I can already see the leaves unfurling there. Rose of Sharon that I forgot to cut back. That's got so many buds on it. I thought, well, I'll just leave it this year. So what about you? Uh, is the my best one this year because I think all the rain, the tulip tree. Oh, yeah, that too. Mine's a little slower than all my neighbors. My neighbors all have that really pretty magenta kind of purple color tulip tree. And mine's white. And theirs were opening up two weeks ago, and mine is slowly but surely now starting to open up. So either way, white, purple, they're gorgeous. Yes, no leaves, just flowers, yep. isn't it? that's why they're so stark. And the saucer magnolia, or the star magnolia as well, same thing. The petals are a lot skinnier on those. But yeah, flowers first before the leaves. I think that's just a really cool thing in nature. Yes, um, from the people from the north that like to have green in the woods in wintertime is the magnolia, the, the, the big, big flowers, the big white flowers. Mm-hmm, just your standard magnolia? Yeah, they just come up in the woods, but I give you something to uh, green because up north in wintertime, except, you know, the, uh, the, um, the, other, the other things, you know, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, um, I know you don't have much time this morning. Yeah, I have an interview coming up um, about Japanese maples and some other things that we're seeing in the landscape. But yeah, Nicole, when you said that you know folks like the greenery of um, magnolias, that made me think. Driving along the interstates with as often as I do, I'm noticing you know the evergreens at the wood lines besides the interstate, like whether it's pine trees or whatever, and there's just purple starting to stick out like from the green, and it's. It's breathtaking. It's show-stopping, really. So I've come to the conclusion what I'm seeing is an eastern redbud, which is starting to put on those purple flowers, and wisteria is starting to bloom, and that is just one of my all-time favorites. Wisteria? Yes, wisteria. I know it can be invasive if you get the wrong kind, but gosh, those purple grape-like flowers are just gorgeous. Yeah, they take the right kind because they can climb over your house yes. and more. <laughs> yeah, I had that in my wedding, so that that's close to my heart. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for calling. You take care and keep me up to date on how you're doing. 
And enjoy your day. Thank you. You as well. And Nicole and I talking about the things that you're able to see right now. Things are blooming and opening up so quickly, it's hard to even keep up. But I want you to go to my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. Walter and I started a a photo album type venture a few years ago, and I've brought it back, Highway Horticulture. So as I'm seeing all these things blooming, I'm taking pictures, putting them in that photo album of Highway Horticulture so you can kind of keep up and learn as well. Man, what's that beautiful white fluffy tree that I'm seeing I've got it in the photo album. So that's going to help you identify trees and shrubs and things as they flower now. Well, I'm joined by a longtime friend of the Lawn and Garden Show. Norm Mitliner has known Walter Reeves for years, and now he's with me on Green and Growing. Norm, I can't wait to introduce you to the listeners of the show. Ashley, I thank you for having me on. Norm and I have known each other for a couple of years. Based out of Atlanta here, a certified aesthetic pruner. You know every variety of Japanese maple there is to know, right? Well, pretty close. There's new ones every day. With all of the bad news lately or the worrisome news that we've been listening to, Norm, you're going to kind of bring us back to reality of just stopping and seeing the beauty in life. The work you get to do, whether it's pruning or stone setting or installations in people's landscapes, You've done some beautiful work for a lot of homes and people here in Metro Atlanta. Tell us a little bit about the work you've done. I have a little over 50 clients. It ranges from obviously taking care of their Japanese maples to just recently, you know, taking care of pruning back the paniculata hydrangeas. It's fun, and uh, I am also very pleased to maintain a Japanese garden residential here in the Atlanta area that was designed by Takeo. He's a well-known Japanese landscape architect that uh, is well-known worldwide that also did the Hotel Nico. Wow. Now the Hyatt there in Buckhead. That was uh, a real pleasure and honor. And he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. I still look back at those memories and ingested what he mentioned me to look at and I try and incorporate that in what I do and I'm quite pleased with the results. And you know a lot more about Japanese gardens than I do but I would imagine everything must be done properly and balanced in order to achieve Zen in an area like that. Tell the listeners a few things, a few important plants that must be in a Japanese garden. Japanese gardens typically have a pine or several pines, black pine, Japanese maples, azaleas, because it's interesting to not only have them pruned to a shape, but also in some gardens have, you know, the spring flower Mm. color. You also will have camellias, the sasanqua, as well as the japonica, so that you have, again, extended bloom periods. Iris, if you have a water feature, which the Japanese garden I maintain has a large koi pond, we do have iris around the perimeter. I would imagine water is almost a staple for most gardens if they have the space, right? Yes, it is, Um, whether it be a pond or, you know, just a little creek type feature um, or just even a dry creek bed to simulate the flow of water. You will see that often. And what about bamboo? Well, interestingly enough, this garden does have bamboo. It has forest bamboo as well as the black bamboo, which is shorter. 
Um, and it is very invasive. <laughs> that was my um, next question. If you had any hints or tricks for folks wanting to do it, how you can mitigate it and keep it in a smaller area. I mean, for years, Walter would say, dig a trench and then put the black plastic down. And But over time, those roots are going to almost bore through anything. There is a seam in that plastic. They will find it and then they'll go between it. So unless you have are able to get, you know, this a large roll of seamless black plastic that's, you know, pretty good thickness. You don't want something thin because, yes, it could puncture through it. Mm-hmm. Unless you're actually planting it in a concrete bed <laughs> uh, where it doesn't have the ability to escape, right. then you're going to have some runners. I've got my friend Norm Mitleider on the phone, a certified aesthetic pruner through the Aesthetic Pruners Association, if you even knew that was a thing. Norm's all around Metro Atlanta, has been for years, and does classes every year at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens and other local public gardens, so you'll be able to catch up with him there. Now, I I do want to turn our attention to Japanese maples, something that you know so much about why would pruning, a properly pruning, Japanese maples, why does that seem, I don't want to say more intimidating, but more of an art form than just pruning any other tree in their landscape, Norm? The beauty of a Japanese maple is what is in our profession known as the essence of the tree. And the essence of the Japanese maple is its beauty, its grace, and form. If you do not trim it properly, you do not bring out that total essence, and therefore the tree doesn't have the look that it should have. It's my job in each garden that I work on that I do that for the trees, and it's a big difference. That's where the aesthetic pruning comes in. Naturally, one can take a Japanese maple, use the arboricultural science, trim the tree, and it be properly done, Mm -hmm. but the look will not be the same as if it were done using the aesthetic pruning techniques. Many of us don't know enough about pruning, Norm, but I would ask you, with things budding out now, especially different varieties of Japanese maples that are common in our landscapes, is it too late to prune some of them now? They are starting to bud, and depending, obviously, on the size of the tree, you can certainly go and see where some of the new buds are forming on, like, the trunk of the tree or on some of the stems and branches, and you can rub those off now before they elongate, and then you'll have to prune them later because part of the art of pruning is knowing when to trim and make the smallest cuts possible. By addressing the buds now, you're making a little wound versus one later in the year that would be much larger. And pruning Um, induces growth generally in most things in the landscape, right? So when you're going to make a cut, take off something that's maybe unnecessary to the plant, that'll allow for more energy to go into growing new parts, right? Yes, that is one of the, the keys to good pruning is that you have the understanding that you're redirecting the energy of the tree. And instead of what happens a lot with some homeowners is they get frustrated with a branch that's, you know, too close to a path and they Mm -hmm. just 
trim it abruptly. And so now the tree has got this dead end that it's really not sure what to do. So it reacts accordingly. And instead of it had been redirected, now it sends out multiple stems that looks terrible. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, Norm, I want you to stick around because I definitely want to cover some some things that just grate on your nerves or maybe misconceptions, things that folks could maybe learn from you and do a little bit differently in their landscape. And I want you to follow along, too, if you visit Norm's website, artofpruning.com. You'll see some beautiful pictures, really delightful pictures, things that are just gorgeous and that will inspire you to maybe take up in your landscape, whether it's Japanese maples, you've got some great hydrangeas, all kinds of things like that. We're going to take a break on Green and Growing. We'll be right back on 95.5 WS. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. Very sad to learn of the passing this morning of Kenny Rogers. I believe he was 81 years old. So Jason will sprinkle Kenny Rogers music throughout the show this morning. Thank you, Jason. A weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, high of around 73, lows around 50. Early morning showers end in a mix of sun and clouds. And tomorrow, 70% chance for showers. It's likely cooler, though. High of 62 and low of 53. And I welcome back to the show my friend Norm Metliner. Thank you so much for joining me. Norm is a certified aesthetic pruner and a lot of experience with Japanese maples, but we're talking hydrangeas, too. And Norm, your relationship with the late Penny McHenry. She's the one that founded the American Hydrangea Society. I was very fortunate to meet her. I was actually her personal pruner for a number of years up until she died. It was a great loss, but she definitely was fun to be around. And where I can, I incorporate them in the gardens that I maintain. I do have one special Penny McHenry that she gave me from her garden. Wow, how special. Uh, an amazing woman. I don't know how you can be from, from the Southeast and not think of her and Vince Dooley when you think of hydrangeas. I mean, those those are two of yeah. the biggest names I think yeah. of. Okay, so I'd like to see if, if I'm right in maybe categorizing, let's keep things simple for folks here, hydrangeas. You've either got macrophylla, maybe lace cap or mop head, right? Correct. And then paniculata, so like panicle hydrangea, more of a cone shaped sometimes, and maybe a climbing mm-hmm. hydrangea, right? Um, there's also the Serratas, which are a smaller leaf, they usually are a lace leaf flower. Then you have the Annabelles. And you told me maybe something a little new to some folks about pruning the macrophylla. I tend to want to wait until mid-April after the threat of the last frost. Uh, Naturally, sometimes we want to get out there at the end of March, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes we get that late frost in early April. They are going to bloom on the old, off of the older wood. The uh, stems that are produced will have the flower on it. And if you trim them all the way down to the base, then that new growth that comes up will not bloom. Now, it could be personal preference, but is it wrong to prune them at the end of summer after they've bloomed? That is not wrong. That's just something that I don't do. I People want a deadhead. I understand that. Artofpruning.com is the website where you can contact him and see some beautiful pictures of some Japanese gardens here in Atlanta and work that he's done. Japanese maples being the star, Norm. 
What are some things that you see as a certified aesthetic pruner, you see that you just go, oh, please, homeowners, don't do this? There's the term crepe murder. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we all pretty much know what that is. Yeah, you well, don't have to be a gardener to know it when you see it. <laughs> well, when I'm driving down the road and I see a Japanese maple that looks like that, that makes my blood curdle. Mm-hmm. It's, what are they thinking? Oh, then it's too late. <laughs> well, it's not too late. It, it's just a matter of patience and time, and you can undo what was done. You can correct some major mistakes sometimes. Any more pruning advice before we part ways, Norm? When you're making your cuts, always make sure that you're cutting to a growth point and not leaving stubs. Hmm. Um, That tends to confuse the tree and make it do weird things. Then you're like Alice in Wonderland for every cut you make. You know, you're going to have to make 10 more because (laughs) of the reaction. And we talk every year about this time, Norm, because I am just sick. Every year I miss your Japanese maple pruning class at Atlanta Botanical Gardens that same weekend. Every year I've got the Atlanta Police Memorial Ride that I do with the Blue Knights Chapter 7. But uh, the class already sold out. Tell folks a little more about that. The class is typically offered around the 20th of April. It fills up obviously fast. We're actually going to try something different next year, and there'll actually be two classes that will be offered, one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. Wonderful. Um, Well, listen, Norm Mitleider, friend of the show and certified aesthetic pruner. Folks can find you online, Art of Pruning. We need to do this again. We have a lot of stuff we could talk about. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Norm, I'll keep your number close by, and thank you so much for helping me out on Green and Growing, this new show. I can use all the help I can get, friend. Ashley, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. 635 here on 95.5 WSB. It is sprinkling outside just a tad. It may be where you are hovering around 60 degrees, so it's going to be a little rainy today and tomorrow, but there are still things you could be doing with your family. So I hope all of you are safe and well, and thanks for tuning in to 95.5 WSB. You know, traffic was a breeze this week, as you can all imagine. I still have my regular shift Monday through Friday from 430 to 9, and uh Not very many folks on the road, but I will caution the people that are still out there driving. And there's a lot of -of out-of-state plates, too, people coming and going, I think, scurrying to get back home. But I will caution you with less cars on the road. I think that uh, some people take that to mean that they can go a lot faster. So mornings this week, I I had a lot of people pass me literally doing 90 miles an hour on I-75 through Cobb and Fulton County. So that's probably not the best idea uh, you don't. You definitely don't want to cause an accident or be in one yourself. So even though you do have room to move on the interstates out there, guys, remember social distancing, even when you're in your cars. 404-872-0750 is the number. You're going to be able to call until 9 o'clock to get me with any lawn and garden questions. I am happy to help, offer advice, maybe give you ideas, especially if you're looking to do some science lessons with the kids. I mean, what better free way to get out and teach them about the outdoors than to take this time to do that? 
Wade in Kentucky, good morning. Thank you for calling Green and Growing. Good morning, Ashley. How are you this morning? Doing fine. How about yourself? Doing good, good. Uh, listen, I called last year and asked Mr. Walter Reeves about trimming my apple tree. And he taught me through it, told me what to do. You know, if it's pointing straight up, trim it. You know, you don't want to grow it out too far. I had a bumper crop of apples. But now, uh, I mean, like way too many of them. I had to rake the apples so I could cut the grass. Wow. But uh, my Bradford pears have just started to bloom. And I'm about five hours north of you there in Atlanta. Uh, if I waited too late to trim my apple tree, or could I go ahead and trim it? Oh, I think you could do a little bit of pruning now um, and and do it the way you did it last year if you followed Walter's directions. And he generally points folks to extension.uga.edu. The University of Georgia Extension Office has great publications on exactly how to do it. Because, yes, yeah, shape is important. Shape's very important for, you know, maximum production plus getting sunlight filtered in. And it also prevents pests and things like that. I think you can now. Absolutely. Yeah. What about the Bradford pears? Though, what did you uh, say about they're, those? They're just start. Well, I tried to talk Gary into trimming them. I, mean, I, I don't know. I said, Gary, I, my aunt had me trim hers, and I helped Kyle with a Hester Farms landscaping down there in Georgia. When we trim them, we trim them down to nothing, and they come back better every year. Yeah, I think it's a little late for those, though. Um, I okay. mean, I saw all the ones here in the metro Atlanta area. They were they were pruned months ago, so now mm-hmm. they're in active growth. You know, they put out the, the white flowers. Now they're really starting to leaf out. So I think, I mean, if you prune them now, it's just going to go even more crazy. So they're going to lose their nice shape and things like that. Okay, well, these haven't been pruned, and you're like, they look more like scrub brushes. Oh, they have no... And we've yeah. got a gazebo in the backyard, and they grow around it, and it makes it a pain to you have to use a push more right oh, in that yeah. area. Yeah, I would And it cut... makes it a hard to get to cut the grass. Sure. That's why I trimmed the apple tree. The apple tree looked like I was picking blackberries every week when I cut, uh, cut grass. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, with the Bradford pears, I mean, I would cut the suckers, you know, if there are any coming from the ground that you don't want there, and you could limb them up. You know, to make it a little easier to uh, to get the mower in and out of there. Yeah, if if they've been left not maintained, my gosh, they do go a little crazy, don't they? Yes, ma'am. I get one more quick question, sure. uh, and I think you, I think I already know the answer. The neighbors up here had some persimmon trees. Walter told me they had male and female persimmon trees. One neighbor had one on each side of the driveway, and one more house up. They had one real big one right in the middle of the yard. Well, not real middle of the yard, just up by the road, but halfway between the property lines. And they put out great. He told me to plant a couple of them because they're male and female. Is that uh, that's the truth? That is, yeah, yeah. A male tree has to be planted nearby to fertilize mm-hmm. the bearing trees. So, yeah, that is right. Okay, because I got some real good persimmon wine out of that. I mean, Ooh, real good. You yeah, wouldn't believe how sweet it is to be from that fruit. Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, I And like it hit it. about 18%, so it'll, it's got a little kick to it. Well, I'm going to be talking to uh, one of our former meteorologists, our TV meteorologist here in Atlanta, Karen Minton. She retired about a year ago, and she's got a great story about Persimmons Wade. That's so funny you bring that up, uh, living out on the West Coast and growing up in California. So, hey, listen, we got to jump out of here. Thank you so much for listening this morning. We always appreciate you tuning in every weekend. So at this time every morning, we talk to our friend, Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. With Walter Reeves this morning. Hey, Walter. Hey, Ashley. We do this segment together where we're curious. We're curious gardeners. We're always teaching each other, learning from each other, and learning from you, too, taking in your observations and your questions and things like that. So, Walter, you recently heard from someone 
who was a little distraught yeah. that they spent all this time in the fall planting bulbs, and here we are at the end of March, yeah. and nothing. Well, it wasn't nothing. I said, I got some bulbs, but I was expecting a lot of flowers in March. I just didn't get what I thought I should. Is it possible that I planted them upside down? Mm. Mm. And that is a concern for some people, of course, mm -hmm. if they don't get what they expect. Did you just do it wrong to begin with? My answer, no problem. Bulbs, no. Will, bulbs will write themselves just like a cat. You know, a cat, when you drop it out of one, they just write themselves pretty quickly. Isn't that cool? And bulbs can do that very thing when they... Or planted upside down. It's not hard sometimes some bolts to do yeah, that. Yeah, you can't tell. You can't tell which way is up, which way is down. Who knows? The the roots will come out and they will feel which way gravity is or in some cases which way blue light is. Oh, wow. And they'll send their roots out and they'll grab the earth around them and they'll gradually contract and expand and contract and expand and crawl down through the earth until they get to the depth they like. Is there any video or time lapse of any kind you've ever been able to see of that process of a bulb actually turning in the ground? I mean, how no. cool would that be? That would be great cool. That really be, cool. It would have to be like in a, an environment where there's a clear wall yeah, on one side and somehow out. the soil is gaped enough to yeah. where you could see the bulb. But that would be neat to see. So that is an interesting thing. When, when I said the roots move away from blue light, it's called a tropism. A tropism is a movement of a plant towards or away from something. And there are lots of different tropisms, like mm, sunflowers. You know, sunflowers, they, they face the sunshine, right? Yeah. That's called heliotropism because the sun is in Greek is helio. And so movement towards the sun is heliotropism. Interesting. The roots, if they move towards gravity, which some roots are stimulated by the gravity, if they go towards gravity, they're called geotropic. And if they grow away from gravity, and some roots really grow away from gravity, they're called negatively geotropic. Orchids. Yeah. Some of their roots are air roots, and they grow up and out and over a pot. What mm. would that be? Or are they just air roots, and they do what they so want? They're just air roots. <laughs> and they just do <laughs> no, I don't think so on that. Is um, there, but, is, but, you know, orchids sometimes will lean towards things, and that's another example of heliotropism or... And just leaning towards the light. Is yeah. there a word for any plant, and I don't even know if this happens scientifically, but leaning towards water? Why, yes, it is. Uh-uh. Hydrotropism. No way. Way. That's cool. Hydrotropism. I was exactly going out right. on a limb on that one. But you got it. That's oh, a right. hydrotropism. All right. Now, here, how, how then do vines find something to climb? You know, you got a bean, let's say it's in the ground, and a little sprout comes out of the ground, and the sprout looks around. But how does it find a pole or a wire or something else to climb upon? I don't know how that works, but then over time, to continue its grasp onto something, yeah. it has almost like little hair follicles sure. that come out of the vine sure. or out of the stem that allow it to attach to whatever, but I don't know. It senses, as it grows, it senses where is light and where is not light. So it looks for shade, frankly. It looks for shade. The shade, it figures, must be something taller than me. And if it's taller than me, I want to climb it because I want to be up there where the sunshine is. That's called scototropism. There's that little bean plant goes around and looks for shade, scototropism. And then when it touches the, the bean pole, as you said, it sometimes has little hairs that cling onto things. But beans twine around the yeah, circle, around and, around and around and around and around. That's called thigmotropism, touching Thigmotropism. Oh. And the bean vine just sort of touches things and says, oh, this is something I better cling to and go round and round and round so I can go up and up and up and again find the, find the sun. 
That is so cool. Yeah, there are bunches of different other tropisms. I can't remember many more than that. Scototropism, heliotropism, hydrotropism, geotropism. All those things are fascinating. The things that stimulate plants to do what they do by hormones, by just whatever mechanical and chemical things do. Just like we have hormones yeah. and you know everything working in your brain to direct your body a certain way, it's amazing to think cells in a plant yeah. all work together to do something similar. They're not thinking exactly, but they're reacting. Right. Mm-hmm. They sure are. Going back to the bulb question that you had, it is possible that some of the bulbs were planted too deeply, but when you use a... Trowel or something like that, you generally what's know... What's the round... Thing um, with the handle. Bulb planter. Yeah, I bulb, bulb planter. A bulb yeah. planter, yeah. But that allows you to get pretty uniform holes, you know, yeah. when you're when you're preparing for your bulbs. What is too deep? I guess it depends on the bulb. Yeah, it really does. The bulb has um what are we going to call this? Uh, the bulb has a mechanism of figuring out what is too deep and what is too too high in the soil to protect them from predators, I guess, one, and to protect them from light is another, and to keep them from getting too dry is a third. And so all those things go together to cause the bulb's contractile roots to move it to the height and the you know, depth in the soil that it really likes. And depending on the variety of bulb and depending on um, sort of the environment that the bulb is growing in, it may decide to grow at three inches deep or six inches deep. just depends on what the environment is and where the bulb thinks it's most comfortable in the soil. One last thing about bulbs. Here we are the third week in March. Today's March 21st. So, um, you know, folks are are really being rewarded and have been the last month or two seeing a lot of their bulbs bloom. But are there any we could plant right now? The summer flowering bulb, sure. It's getting close to daylily time, I'm Ooh. thinking here. Daylily, that's not a bulb exactly, but it's a root. Or right. sure, daylily. A little too cold for dahlias, but dahlias will be soon, so it gets a little bit warmer. Peonies, yeah, I could plant peonies now. Sure, sure could. I'm sure there's other summer flowering tuberose and... Um, um, ranunculus? Maybe ranunculus. I think they're more spring. Okay. Yeah, let's see if there's white on ranunculus. Do it in the fall. Well, that's been an interesting discussion. And for a glossary of some of the terms that Walter used today, I want you to go to my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. And I'm going to have a glossary of those tropisms on Facebook. I'm moving away. Tropisms, (laughs) I surely am. Hey, so next week, you have already gotten ahead and prepared a quiz. And we're going to have a special guest on (laughs) taking a quiz with us next Saturday. We're going to have so much fun. I'm getting nervous, but I'm ready. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Self-isolation never sounded so good. Listen to Atlanta's news and talk while you're at home on the WSB radio app or tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB. Thanks so much to our friend Walter Reeves for uh, tuning in this morning, but for doing that interview as he does every Saturday with us. We learn so much. And yeah, all those tropisms, what a what a fun word and what a fun thing to learn. So go on Facebook, Green and Growing WSB, and some great diagrams and some great definitions there, something to teach the kids. All right, a weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, an early morning shower, if it's not already sprinkling where you're at, but a mix of sun and clouds later today, highs in the upper 60s. 60s or low 70s and lows around 50, but a greater chance for rain tomorrow. Showers are likely throughout metro Atlanta. High only around 62 and lows around 53. So your complete weather forecast is coming up here in just a few minutes on 95.5 WSB. So want to make gardening easy for you. Here's three things you can do this weekend. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. 
pretty easy today, maybe a better day than tomorrow to get out there and do this. First, divide overgrown clumps of hosta. You you see all of your hosta starting to peek up out of the ground. Mine are already up about four or five inches, so you can really see where they're going to be really full. So go ahead and dig those, carefully separate them, and you'll be able to share with others or just move them to different places. Fertilize pecans so that they'll get a lot of leaves out on them. The more leaves, the more nuts that are produced. So go to each of your trees and measure how thick the trunk is at chest height for every inch of thickness. You're going to want to broadcast a pound of 10-10-10, just a very basic fertilizer for pecans. So do that three times a year. You want to do it now, maybe in June, and then in the fall, up to a maximum of 25 pounds per tree per year. So that's going to be an awfully big pecan. And number three, chickweed, dandelions, clover, dichondra, dollarweed, all of those can be controlled with an application of broadleaf weed killer. So that's something that contains the active ingredient of 2,4-D. Read and follow the label directions, of course, but I know you're already seeing way more weeds in your landscape than you would like to. 404-872-0750. Hey, Gene and Bremen, good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. I'd like to know, is it a good time, everything I've got, my hydrangeas, Stella Dior, every, everything I've got coming up, is it okay? I mean, can I just go out and put fertilizer around everything? I would wait a couple more weeks just because you want everything to start to leaf out a little more. Um, but you do fertilize when things are in active growth. Absolutely. So spring is, is the time where most of the energy is being, you know, expended by the plant. So it's going to need that fertilizer. It's going to need that food and that boost. So, but as like, especially the, what'd you say, Stella de Oro lilies, right? Yeah, yeah, they're not quite, you know, doing their thing yet. Yeah, they're they're leafing out, and you do see the the clumps there. But I'd wait just a little bit longer. And azaleas and rhododendron, same thing. I think everything's really starting to put on flowers just a couple of weeks ahead of time because it's been so warm. Well, so, are they any one thing that I can use for all of it? Um. What? Hmm. Eh. Well. No, I mean, I, I kind of subscribe to the whole. I have an azalea, camellia, rhododendron fertil- fertilizer for those. I do have 10-10-10 for some things. I have osmocote uh, for some of the smaller, like, bedding plants and annuals and things that I've got. And then melorganite is one that you hear us talk about a lot. Melorganite's um, an organic but slow-release fertilizer that, that stays with the plant a lot longer than something like miracle Grow would. So, um, eh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you may spend a little more money, but I subscribe to getting, you know, each different fertilizer that on the bag, it tells you what it's for. There's a rose fertilizer, you know, those kinds of things. So, but yeah, I mean, if you have a lot of different things, like some you just named off, maybe some general all purpose would be okay. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thanks, Gene. Always good to hear from you. And speaking of um, azaleas and all of that, some of you have asked over the course of the week uh, if now is a good time to plant azaleas and rhododendrons. So it's a little bit of a challenge, a little more problematic in the spring than in the fall when you really wanted to get some shrubs in there. But nevertheless, it can be done. The soil and the hole have to be prepared very well, though, and you're really going to need to be very intentional about watering. So... 404-872-0750. You're listening to Green and Growing. We will be back on 95.5 WSB. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.